0: Hey, Cornerstone. Man, glad to see you today. I think the conversation that we're about to have together is something that's going to uh, be of value to your life, may completely change uh, your perspective on the hardest uh, moments uh, of your life. Hey, let's just be honest, stressed is not necessarily something that we all line up to talk about, because if If you're not stressed right now, you're like, I I don't even know if I want to talk about this because you're probably going to say some things that are going to make me feel stressed about my life and then I'm going to regret having come. Uh, Some of us are in the room right now, though, and you're saying, boy, I'm to my eyeballs and I cannot wait for this conversation to happen. And you're in the right place. And I would say even to those who right now maybe stress isn't a big deal in your life, it will be. Let me just encourage you with that. Uh, They'll come that moment. And if you can unpack the things that we're going to unpack together today so that when that moment comes and life isn't going how you expected it to go, and if you can respond in that moment with the tools that we're about to give you, uh, it may have a completely different outcome than it's had the last few times for you. So just glad that you're uh, in the room. I need to say this today. I am a fellow pilgrim. On this conversation I wish I could stand in front of you and say man I I live my life completely stress-free I never have a moment that I'm freaked out I never have a moment that I'm I find myself uh, worrying or a little bit confused I, I I just navigate all this so well but the reality is far far too often I find moments in my life where I'm I mean I'm up to here and I find myself uh, worrying about things and saying, hey, you know, God, when are you gonna show up and how come it's gone that far off the tracks? And it's interesting because in those moments, I then realize and go, how did, I, how did I let it go that long? H- how did I go so long and not take this to the Lord in prayer the way I should have taken it to the Lord in prayer? How did I, how did I not lean into God earlier than this? And why am I so stressed out in this moment? And so you just need to hear me say, that as we have this conversation together, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm talking uh, with you, and you, you and I are on this journey together to be able to do this better in our lives than we've done it up until now. You ever wonder what causes stress? How, how do we get there? I mean, it's not like we, any of us ever planned to be stressed, and yet every one of us has experienced this, how, how did we get Stressed? How did that moment come when you and I are what the, involved in what the Bible would just call worry? When we're just worried about how it's going to turn out and what's going to show up? Isn't it uh, true that all of, us, all of us have plans? All of us have ideas about how life is supposed to go, uh, how it's supposed to turn out. Uh, how those things are supposed to come together for us. Matter of fact, how many in the room right now would say, hey, you know what, I've got some plans for my finances? Okay, that's really, really scary. How many would say, I at least have some ideas for my finances? Okay, okay. And the idea is at the end of month, you'll have way more than you need, right? That's the idea with finances. How, how many uh, in here would say, hey, I, I've, got some, I've got some plans potentially for my career and how I'm hoping that turns out and you know, some ideas about that. Okay, all right. How many in this room would say, I have plans for my marriage. I've got some ideas about how I'm supposed to treat my spouse, how my spouse to treat me, how, how this is supposed to feel. Okay, every woman in the room needs to be raising their hand right now. <laughs> You have plans, and you know it. Your husband doesn't know the plans, but you've got plans. (laughs) All right. Uh, How how many parents have plans for their kids? And they better do them, right? How many singles in the room, you've got plans? (laughs) Yeah, you're going to meet him in about six weeks. Uh, You're going to be married in six months and popping babies in a year, right? That's the plan. And it's there, it's there, it's the plan. And, and isn't it true uh, that all of us do this, right? We all kind of look into it and go, this, you know, th- based on where things are headed, based on you know, what I've done, so f- and this is, this is just kind of what I think I'm headed toward. This is kind of the plan for me. And isn't it true that as long as reality, as long as what actually is happening in life, is somewhere in proximity to what we planned, what we thought about, then you and I are reasonably stress-free. See, we would go in that moment, we go, look, I mean, it's not exactly how I thought it would turn out, but it's, it, it's, in, it's in proximity, it's, it's, it's close enough, and yeah, if I could, I would tweak a couple things, and I'm working, but I'm just telling you, I'm I'm good. I'm good. And all of a sudden, wow, how can that be happening? I mean, are, whoa, 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 no, 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 that's, that's not what I had thought, and that's not what's supposed to, and it's clearly not fair, and, and I can't even tell you how frustrating this is, and isn't it true that the distance between what is really happening in my life and what I thought was going to happen, what I planned for my, isn't it true that this gap is stress? This gap is the scope of my worry. And I am freaked out. I am panicked out of my mind. I'm going how how in the, how would you ever fix that? I mean, it is so far off, it is so far out of control, it is, it is so much bigger than anything I even have any solutions for. And I'm just telling you right now, I am, I am out of my mind with stress. Jesus is going to have a moment with his disciples, a moment when they thought they knew exactly how the day was going to turn out. They had this incredible idea, and it was going to be really, really great, and it was going to be unbelievably relaxing. They were going to have this great time, and within the matter of just a couple hours, they're going to find themselves in a moment where their lives are in peril, and it is so different than what they thought. It's so out of bounds from anything they consider could possibly be the will of God for their life. And they are going to be stressed out of their minds and they're going to be panicky in that moment. And Jesus is going to take that moment and teach them about stress, about worry in their lives. And the wonder is that you and I have the opportunity to listen into this conversation and learn some unbelievably valuable lessons about stress. So grab your Bibles, go with me to the book of Mark. Uh, If you're not familiar uh, with the book of Mark, if you just go to the back of your Bible and then uh, work to the left, you're going to find this book. If you go all the way to the book of Matthew, you went a little too far, come on back. Uh, Mark chapter 4, now here's the deal. Uh, if you're in the room today and you still haven't landed Jesus, in other words, you haven't come to a final decision, you haven't decided uh, that he's going to be your Savior, then you have my permission today not to believe anything I'm about to tell you. You don't have to. But here's what I will say. By the time we get to the end, you're going to hope it's true you're going to say, wow, if that was really available to me, and and if I could really experience that, man, I'm hoping this conversation was true. So hang in here with us. And then just kind of getting us ready for the story, what's happening in this moment, Jesus has just taught what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So... Uh, He's just had this incredible meeting, it's been super, super long, he's been teaching tons and tons of Bible, and and Jesus feels like I do after Easter Sunday and eight services. He's wiped out, he is absolutely exhausted from the crowds, and so he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, I'll tell you what let's do. I got this plan, let's hop in a boat, we'll sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and... We'll get over there quicker than anybody else can walk around the lake. And it'll give us a day and a half or two days of just relaxation, a mini vacation, so to speak. And the disciples go, man, we are all in. (laughs) That sounds like a really, really good plan. And suddenly, plans are going to change. So here we go. It's Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Here's what it says. That day, when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was, exhausted and worn out and tired from a long day's worth of preaching, uh, in the boat. There were also other boats uh, who tried to go with him. So despite the greatest plans, there's still people trying to Hang out and go with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So get the moment. There's, they're out in the middle of this lake. There's this storm like they've never seen before, and suddenly there are waves that are coming over the side of the boat. The boat is filling up, and, and now the water lying inside the boat is within inches of the top of the boat, and if the water ever gets there, that's it. The boat is going under. Jesus was in the stern. He's hanging out in the back, sleeping, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, uh, don't you care if we drown? You get that in the mind of the disciples, this was not the plan. The the idea that there was going to be a storm was never, 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 never a consideration for them. Here's what the disciples were thinking. We are going on a twilight cruise around the harbor. Uh, They're going to be serving hors d'oeuvres, you know, the little crab cake things. And, and, And maybe someone's going to pop in a CD and we're going to watch the sun set quietly over the horizon. We're all going to sit here and go, boy, I wish our wives were with us because this would have been a great moment to score some huge points in our marriage. But this is going to be cool. This is going to be ultra relaxing. That's the plan. There was never a thought in the disciples' minds that within just a a short couple hours they would be fearing for their lives. Let me ask you a question. Who decides the plan? I mean, in your life, who gets to decide the plan? Who decides where you go to college? Who decides who you get married to? Uh, Who decided you were going to have 2.5 children? I'm not sure what you're doing at the 0.5, that's up to you, but who decided? 2.5. 2.5. Who decided that you were going to have a huge house with a tiny, tiny mortgage? Who decided that? And all of that with buttered popcorn on top of it. Who, whose plan was that? And isn't it interesting that you and I come up with our plan, and then we decide whether or not God loves us based on how good he had at obeying us and doing our plan. And the second God gets off our plan, we get all freaked out on him and decide maybe, maybe, maybe he's not really God after all and maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't love us after all. Who decided the plan? It's interesting because Jesus has taught all along. If you've been hanging in the scriptures at all, that God always has a plan, and that more often than not, his plan is surprisingly different than anything we would have ever decided for ourselves. We shouldn't be surprised. Matter of fact, remember the story of the blind man? And Jesus one day is walking uh, down the road, and there's a blind man there who the Bible says has been blind for 40 years. And he stands there, and he calls out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, would you heal me? And remember the moment his disciples turn to Jesus and they go, Okay, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. who sinned? Did this guy sin in order that it caused his blindness? Or, or did his parents sin and now their sin is being visited on him and, and that's why he's blind? Because look, 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 for life to be going this bad for this guy, somebody must have done something wrong. So, Jesus, who sinned? To which Jesus gives an absolutely surprising answer. Jesus says, no, no one sinned. This has actually been the plan of God. This is is exactly how God wanted this to go. So that on this particular day, as I was walking down this particular road, I could encounter this man, I could heal him in your presence, and hundreds of people, if not thousands, would know in that moment that I am truly the son of God. This has always been the plan for God to use this man's life for a remarkable purpose. But here's what i got to get, guys. When he's 10 years old and all the other kids are playing and he's sitting on the sidelines blind, do you think he's tapping into, oh, I bet a God has a plan? Or is he praying a typical 10-year-old prayer and saying, God, why am I blind and the other kids can see? Why have I prayed every single day and asked you to heal me, and it feels like you're asleep in the back of the boat? Dear God, dear God, dear God, I don't understand why you're not listening to my plan." Is it possible, is it possible that you and I have been measuring God's faithfulness by how well he obeys our plan instead of measuring it by what he does when we obey his? Let me just say this again because this is a huge question. Is it possible that we've decided whether God loves us or whether God's being faithful or whether God's being just by whether or not he obeys our plan instead of in that moment asking, what did God do when I was faithful to what he asked me to obey? Back to the passage. Verse 39. He, Jesus, got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves quiet be still and then the wind died down and it was completely calm the wind was just instantly absent the water went as smooth as glass and my guess is those honorary disciples still weren't happy they're going Jesus you could have left a little bit of wind after all we're in a sailboat During the storm, during the storm that none of the disciples wanted, during the storm that nobody ever planned on, during the storm, ready for this, that Jesus wasn't surprised about. You get there, right? You You get that Jesus, before he even invited the disciples to go with him, knew the storm was coming. See, Jesus didn't get woke up and go, Whoa! I guarantee you, when Jesus was on the shore and he said, hey, I, I got this plan, how about if we sail over to the other side, get a little relaxation going on, he was smirking, he's going, wait till you see this, this is going to be fun. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if while Jesus is laying in the back of the boat, every once in a while he kind of woke up, opened an eye and went, no, nah, it's not bad enough yet, <sighs> went back to sleep. You see, there is nothing about this storm, there's nothing about this that is in any way surprising to Jesus. Which guys you just gotta get because it's a big deal. There's nothing about the health issues that you're navigating right now that took God unaware. There's nothing about your kids going crazy right now that God's going, oh my goodness, how do we fix that? There's nothing going on in your finances right now where God's going, dude, I I just think it's bankruptcy. That's what I think. How did you? There is nothing going on in your life right now that God did not see coming before you were even born. And he is not surprised or alarmed. Are you ready for the next part? There was never a moment in the storm where Jesus wasn't fully capable of doing what he did. Of standing up and just saying, peace, be still, and it being gone and there is nothing going on in your life, as bad as it feels, as ho- that is beyond his capacity to stand up and say, we're done. We're done, it's okay, it's over. And if he's not doing that, it's because there's a reason for the storm. Because, because, because there is no storm that's bigger than him. Now, you and I in this moment, we go, well, yeah, I know, I get it. And here's the thing, the disciples were pretty stupid. I mean, I, here's the, look: if, if I had been in a boat with Jesus and Jesus is like 20 feet away, you know, I, I would have been like totally confident. I would have been, hey, I'm all right, Jesus and me are in the same boat. But these stupid disciples, I mean, how did they not understand that God was with them? Do you realize that if you're a child of God, if you've made a decision for Jesus Christ, there has never been a moment from that decision till now that Jesus has not been with you. He's been in the boat. And I get it. I I, I get it. I get that there have been moments it felt like he was asleep in the stern. I get it. But he was in the boat. God was never absent, even in the storm. So why are you freaking out? What, I mean, think, think, about, think about how hilarious this has to look to God, what the disciples, the disciples are out there in the middle of the storm, they're going, lower the sails, and all of a sudden the sails are ripping, no, raise the sails, hey, let's drag the anchor, no, pull the anchor back in, hey, bail the water, all I have is a Dixie cup, <laughs> I mean, how crazy does this look to God, how insane is this moment, and yet, and yet, Ready? You and I have done exactly the same thing. You and I have had moments in our lives where it feels like God is asleep in the back of the boat. And in that moment, you and I grab the wheel. In that moment, you and I go, look, Jesus, here's the deal. Apparently, you've fallen asleep at the wheel, so scoot over to the passenger seat, and I'm going to fix it. So I'm going to tell my husband what a jerk he is and explain to him how he's hurting my heart, and then he's going to be better. I'm just telling you. I got this, God. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell my daughter she shouldn't be dating that boy, and then she's going to listen to me. Good luck with that one. (laughs) And how many times in absolute panic have you and I grabbed the wheel and said, God, I'm going to steer into the skid. I'm going to get us out of this, and then, you know, we can talk. And isn't it true? Isn't it true that some of the poorest decisions of your life have been made in the midst of panic and fear and stress? That, that you, would, you would just say, look, Lynn, normally, I mean, normally, normally I would have never dated that guy. But I'm just, I'm 27. I'm 27 and it's been nine months since anybody else asked me out. And I'm just telling you, if God had been doing his part, I wouldn't be making decisions like this. But God's asleep in the back of the boat. I normally, I normally wouldn't have lied to close a deal. But then I work on commission. And it's been three months since I've sold Anything And remember, remember, I'm supposed to take care of my family. And if God hadn't been asleep, I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I I, I know I probably shouldn't have moved in with my boyfriend. I get it. I get that it's unbiblical. But here's the, I mean, if you just understood where we are economically, I mean, if you understood the strain we're under right now, and then, and then, Lynn, I just got to, he was losing interest, and I just thought, you know, if I could just seal the deal, and I, I mean... If God would have simply, then I wouldn't have. And isn't it true that you and I have made some of the sloppiest, most regrettable decisions of our lives, stressed out and panicked? Can I freak you out a little bit? For all your machinating and turning and fixing in You didn't do much. You didn't do much. H- how many have ever gone to Autotopia in Disneyland? Okay, all right. So let me tell you about those. So those of you that have never been to Autotopia, Autotopia is every nine-year-old boy's dream because you get the chance to drive a sports car, Okay. So my grandparents have taken me to Disneyland. I'm nine years old. I'm standing in line, and I'm just telling I can't stand still. I'm like, because I'm going to get to drive a sports car. I'm checking out the competition in the line, because I'm going to blow them all away. I don't care if they're 14. I'm going to blow them away. Autotopia. You get in the car, and I start out, I mean, I'm flooring, and I get to the first turn, and turning, and I'm turning, the, the, turning, it, turning. It. it took me five laps. Now, maybe this is because I'm slower than you, but it took me five laps to realize the steering wheel wasn't doing hardly anything. <laughs> the geniuses at Disney had figured out how to make the steering wheel sort of move the car, but they put a rail in the middle. So despite my best efforts, I really wasn't accomplishing. I could do the same thing, just letting go. You get that all of your intrusion, all of your injection of yourself to try to help God, and you really haven't done much. And here's the crazy part, there was never, never, never a moment that Jesus wasn't in absolute control and we were panicked. It is safer to be in a boat with Jesus in a storm than to be on a sunny day cruise by yourself. It's better. It's better to be in a boat with Jesus that's taking on water and the sails are ripping and the water is getting to the top. It's better to be in that boat with Jesus than to be on a sunny picnic cruise by yourself. Back to the passage. 39 again. Here's what it says. He got up, rebuked the wind. And said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Jesus is about to ask his disciples two questions that will forever change their view of being stressed, that will cause them, if they can run every one of their situations that frustrate them and terrify them through the filter of these two questions, just answering these questions for themselves will suddenly change their entire perspective on storms. And here's what he asks, why, why were you so afraid, do you still have no faith? Why were you so afraid, why were you so freaked out, and do you still have no faith? Now, now here's what you got to get in a moment. He says to them, hey, how, co- how, come, how come you were struggling so hard with faith? What was, what was that about? Matter of fact, the translation here is not a great translation. If you go back to the original Greek, it really says, Jesus says to him, why are you still little-faithing? Why are you stuck hanging on to tiny, tiny faith? Matter of fact, if we could have gone back there, Jesus might have sounded a little bit like this. You guys are just teeny, teeny-faithers. You're little-faithers. Here's what you need to understand about faith. Faith is never about volume. Faith is never about how much I faith I have or how sincere I am about saying. You can be sincere and jump off a cliff and you will sincerely splat. It, sincerity has nothing to do with this. Is not, hey, I really believe. I don't care if you really believe. You believe the wrong thing, you get the wrong result. It's not about confidence. And faith, you ready for this? Faith is never about the absence of fear. Faith is never about, hey, I'm just so trusting God that I, I, just, I, I, I just don't have any fear. Are you kidding me? Real faith is what you do when your knees are knocking, when you're terrified. Then what do you put your faith in? And then I'll know what you have faith in. I guarantee you David, as he walks out to Goliath, is sitting there with a dry mouth, shaking, but he has enough faith to go out. So here's what Jesus is saying. You guys have little faith because, 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 you ready for this? When the storm came, who did you put your faith in to save you from the storm? Yourselves. You were the ones raising the sails, lowering the sails, dragging the anchor, bailing with your Dixie cups. You you were trusting yourselves to somehow fix the problem, mitigate the circumstances, find a solution. It was your last resort to even talk to me. And when you put your faith in something that's so small and so incapable, when you put your trust to solve your life in your own limited capacities, you're having tiny, tiny faith. And then Jesus says, but you should have had big faith. The truth is, I was here all along. There was never a moment I was not in complete control. I had the capacity to stop the storm. All you had to do was trust me. If you had been trusting me, if you'd been going, hey, We're good. Jesus is with us. You know what you would have been saying? Hey, Luke, drop the sails a little bit. Let's turn with the wind. Let's see how fast this tub will go. (laughs) Because I was with you. And if you would have simply trusted that, that would have been big faith. Because you were trusting in a God that was bigger than the storm. There's this interesting place. It's a... It's called uh, Calico Rock. It's in Arkansas. And what's happened there is that there was already probably a kind of a medium-sized mountain there, but then there's a river that runs right up against it, and so it's kind of carved some of the soil away. And so now there's just a sheer cliff that's about 400 feet straight up and down Calico Rock. And it's interesting because when the sun shines, it hits this big, wide river. All that sun reflecting up goes and hits the rocks, and now it creates all these warm thermals going up in front of Calico Cliffs there. You know what thermals are, right? Warm air rising, going up. It's interesting because birds like to nest at calico rock. So you'll see these little sparrows. And when these sparrows begin to fly, they hit the thermals. And when they hit the thermals, they start... And they don't go anywhere because they're hitting the thermals. How often have you and I looked like sparrows? Sparrows. I'm going to save my marriage. 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 I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to fix my finances. And you and I, in little faith, trust our own capacity. It's interesting because also at Calico Rock, there are eagles. Now think about this for a second. Eagles have got to be, what, a hundred times bigger than a sparrow? And you would think... You would think if anybody would have a hard time making it through the thermal, it would be that big old guy. But when you watch the eagles, they, they take about four flaps. Ready for this? They hit the thermal. They spread their wings. And then they begin to ride the thermal up, trusting the thermal to carry them. Isn't that what Jesus just taught? You keep flapping your wings. You keep trying to beat this thing yourself. You're going to look like a little sparrow. But Christians, Christians who have the capacity to trust me and what I'm doing and to simply go with me, look an awful lot like eagles. He asked a second question. Why are you so afraid? I mean, how, how did this panic you so deeply? I mean, what, how could I be with you and you be that terrified? What, why were you so afraid? And look, look, if you're one of the disciples in that moment, you're going, Jesus, wait, 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 wait. I know you were asleep, so you didn't see it all. But look at the sails. I mean, they are ripped to shred. Look where you're standing. The water is within inches of capping on the boat, and all we had was Dixie Cups. What, what do you mean, Jesus? Why were we so afraid? Look, look, look. That's our job. Our job. When life is falling apart, when it's not adding up, when we can't fix it, our job is to worry, our job is to stress. Jesus says, no, it's not. Your job is to trust. Trust that I'm bigger than the storm. Trust that I'm stronger than the storm. Trust that even though it feels like I'm asleep, I'm aware. Maybe this helps. So Lisa, Lisa and I are flying back from the East Coast. We end up having to land in St. Louis. I don't know why we had to land in St. Louis. Maybe there are people getting off the plane. or I don't know. But we're landing in St. Louis. As we're coming in for approach, uh, one of the stewardesses comes on the intercom and says, "Uh, I just need to inform you, the pilot's asked me to tell you, that there are horribly strong winds at the airport, which means uh, our landing is going to be interesting. Now, guys, I'm going to... I'm just telling you, there's like 10 things you never want to hear a stewardess say on a plane. And number one is, the landing is going to be interesting. You just don't want to hear that. And so she says to everybody, you know, hey, you're going to want to make sure your seatbelts are on, make sure they're tightened, and you might want to review the safety card right now. (laughs) So sure enough, we're coming in for the landing at St. Louis. And as we get down toward the runway, so picture this, this is the runway, the pilot... The pilot turns the plane diagonally so that he can fly into the wind and the outcome is that he's still going straight toward the runway. Now guys, I'm just going to tell you this is all kinds of wrong. (laughs) There is nothing about this that feels good on the airplane. I'm looking out my passenger side window and I'm seeing the runway behind me. This is not right. (laughs) At the last possible moment, The pilot takes the plane, which, by the way, pilots have now come and told me that that's called crabbing. I don't care what you call it. It's wrong. The pilot takes the plane, turns it straight, flips it on its side, lands on one wheel, and then the wind blows the rest of the plane down onto the runway. You know how when you've had a good landing, everybody goes... In this case, everybody went... Thank you, Jesus. I turned to my wife, and I go, that was terrifying. To which my wife goes, that wasn't that bad. I'm going, what are you talking about? You're the woman who can't even trust me to drive across town. You're telling me, turn right here, turn left here, speed up, slow down, watch out for the traffic. How can that be okay? Here's our answer. You ready? Lynn, what did you want me to do? Unbuckle my seatbelt, run forward, rip the cockpit door off, pull the pilot out of his seat, take the controls myself? I'm just thinking we were better with the pilot. (laughs) Isn't that exactly what Jesus just asked? Why were you so afraid? You were better with me in the boat. You were better with me landing this situation for you. You get your best chance was me in control. And I've done this a hundred times. And even though it feels different to you and scary to you, there was never any need to be freaked out. How do you relieve stress? You simply say, hey, God, it's not what I planned. I wasn't aiming for any storms. I I, I thought I was doing a twilight cruise around the harbor. But I'm just telling you, I'd rather be in a boat with you in a storm than by myself with my plans. And so I'm okay, because I'm trusting you. Let's pray. Hey, before we pray, I just want to say some of us in the room, and you don't have Jesus in the boat. You've, you've never actually made that decision for Christ. And so a lot of the promises we've shared today, they just don't apply until you make that decision. Until you say, hey, I'm in with you, Christ. I want you in my life. And then, and then he never leaves. Then he never lets us down. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't made that decision, that you start thinking about that decision. There are Christians in this room, and you are so tightly gripping the steering wheel of your life, and you have ripped that out of God's hands, and you're trying so hard to fix what's wrong in your life right now. And I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many compromises you make, you'll barely change a thing. You're better off letting Jesus deal with the storm. Dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to you in the moment. God, we're just going to say out loud, that we are so prone to worry <laughs> We get in our minds this idea of how our life is supposed to be and so often we measure you and we decide whether you've been faithful and we decide whether or not you've been loving by whether or not you carried out our plans. And part of this conversation today maybe for some of us to simply surrender our plans and say, God, I'd rather be in a boat with you in a storm than on a twilight cruise on my own. And God, I'm just asking, would you help us Help us to answer for ourselves the two two questions. Why is your faith so small? Why are you leaning into your own capacities instead of leaning into my strength? Why were you so afraid? You get the pilot was still at the wheel. You You get that your best chance of landing the plane was me flying the plane. And so God, we simply come to this moment and say, I'd rather be in a boat with you in a storm than on a daylight cruise by myself. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.